Welcome back to the Primitive Podcast. I'm your host, Cade Wilcox. On this week's episode, we're joined by Holly Duncan. She's the CEO and Executive Director of Parkridge Pregnancy Medical Clinic here in Lubbock, Texas, and has been in that role for over 20 years now. Her clinic, uh, through her leadership, has reached an unprecedented number of people who need unique support and unique help. And I thought it'd be really fun to learn from a CEO of a nonprofit who's been doing this work for a long time and hear from her on the dynamics of a nonprofit leadership and just learn from her on some of the things she's learned about leadership throughout her years of leading an organization. time, not as well as I've known Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, so just tell us a little bit about your background. Like, I don't even know where you're from. Um, so tell us a little bit about Parkridge, about your background, mm-hmm. you know, how you got in that role, just all the good stuff. Yeah. Well, I actually grew up here in Lubbock. Okay. I graduated from Coronado and all my friends went to tech and I was the one that went off to Baylor. And so, yeah, I started off yeah, with everyone saying, why are you doing that? You get that? a hard time. Yeah, you get I did. A hard time for I that. did. Mm-hmm. And then, but not quite as hard of a time from when I went to graduate school because I went from Baylor undergrad. I got my degree in educational, um, secondary educational English and sociology. And then I went on to grad school at UT. Oh, so that's where I yeah. lose all the rest of the <laughs> respect from everyone else that I lost saying that's I went great. to Baylor. But, you know, it was definitely something that um, I thought through and prayed about and exercised due diligence. And so for me, it was very clear. And my mom had actually gotten on a train from Virginia and went to Baylor, went from across the country. Yes, my dad was in the Air Force, which is kind of cool since it's Veterans Day. Yes, absolutely. But he was in the Air Force and they they met there. And so I had always kind of known about Baylor. But yeah, so undergrad there and then graduate school. And so I got my master's in educational psychology with a specialization in counseling. Okay. And so then I did my first internship at a school and I enjoyed it, but I really was thinking, oh, I want to, I want to do more. I mean, I know things have changed. That was a long time ago, but even then I thought I wanted to hear more about what was going on with them and what was making them sad and all these things versus here, let me help you sign up for the SAT. And so then I did my advanced internship at a place way back when called Minerth Meyer, and I was able to do um, individual counseling, group counseling, inpatient, outpatient, all the things, and that's when I thought, oh, this is what I want to do, and I was going to go on, and I knew I wanted to go on to become a licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas, so since I'd grown up in Lubbock, I was working on my thesis at grad school, and I came home for a break, and then I was asked to interview for this job, because they were launching this this organization, and, and I actually said, well, I don't think I'm going to be living here because I already had interviews set up in both Dallas and Houston for these other opportunities. And they said, well, no, we really want to talk to you about starting this this ministry. And I said, okay. Well, and I jokingly say that I did what sometimes we do. And I said, oh, okay, let me pray about it. And I drove back to Austin and thought, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But then, you know, um, the more I thought about it, I, I thought this could be an opportunity for me to to just um, implement some of what I've learned, both in undergraduate school and graduate. And I never thought that I'd be here as long Mm. as I was here, but I was straight out of grad school. I just finished my thesis, just 
walked across the stage to get my diploma, and I was hired 15 days later. This is back in 19 and 93. You know, I feel I told somebody that if it's before 2009, you have to throw the and in there. It's like That's circa great. 19 and 93. <laughs> so, but that that was then, and they said, okay, there, here's the space. This is what we want to do. They had interviewed me, and so I came back for a second interview, and they hired me, and they said we want to open on September 1st. And so I had that wow. summer to get ready. So for, for those in our audience that are not familiar with mm-hmm. Parkridge like mm-hmm. I am, why don't you mm-hmm. give a quick overview yes, of it? Yes, it's a nonprofit organization, and we have licensed professional counselors and nurses on staff. It is a pregnancy medical clinic. And so we are actually at the crossroads of folks making big decisions when they find themselves in the midst of an unintended pregnancy. We also have counseling and we have parenting classes. We also have opportunities to speak in the schools. And then we have support groups too. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah, one of Lubbock's best assets. Yeah, so you. so you started Parkridge? I did. I did not know that. And so yeah. how many, so since 93? Mm-hmm. 26 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so what was the, like, what was the, the, the original group who, who came to you and wanted to mm-hmm. start Parkridge? Yeah. Like what, what was the impetus behind that? I mean, mm-hmm. what was the original vision and yes. how has it kind of evolved over, you know, 20 plus years? Sure. So there was a 16 year old girl who discovered that she was pregnant, went and talked to her folks who were active in the church at that time and she said this is not what i planned but i need help and her mom said well we'll do whatever we can and her dad said yeah this is not good we're gonna fix this Mm -hmm. problem and so they went to their youth minister and so their youth minister was actually my youth minister who eventually married todd and me but they knew that that was not an isolated incident that she was not the only teen pregnant in fact at the time in the early 90s lubbock had some very high rates of unplanned pregnancy we still have some not great rates but and also stds and some things of that nature just some very high off the chart rates per capita some of the highest in the nation and so they knew that there was need so they formed a steering committee which eventually became the board of directors and that's who had interviewed me so that was really the catalyst it was born out of a need for the community and so they had exercised due diligence and done some research and there was nothing exactly like this at the time and People have said, well, why is it called Park Ridge? Well, that was the name of the suite of condominiums right there. It was on the ridge of a park, and our board actually liked that name. It was a little kind of nondescript, and and it it was just uh, we knew that we needed to start with something that was somewhat hopeful. We knew that people would be coming to us in the midst of a crisis, but we never wanted to call ourselves a crisis clinic because folks are looking for help to get out of the midst of a crisis. Mm-hmm. And so that's really how the name Parkridge came that's about. That's really cool. We'll mm-hmm. come back to that. That sparks a lot of questions in sure. my head. You know, like 26 years ago, did, yes. did you see yourself still being here and, you know, what it's become today? So mm-hmm. we'll get back into okay, that. Sure. But you're a basketball family. So yes. those who, who don't know you personally mm-hmm. well, tell them about all, all yes. the basketball going on in your yes. family. Yes, yes. So, yes, I definitely married into a basketball family. And my husband's a coach. And as I was saying, I'm glad that I knew that I enjoyed it and that I knew I was getting into it or it'd be really challenging. Yeah. So I was a soccer player in high school and did a, play a little bit in college as well. But uh, so Todd still holds some records at Texas Tech. He's very humble. But um, there's a story, actually, if I can take 30 seconds. Please do. I was at grad school and he and I were friends and I, someone had said he was in Sports Illustrated. He was the one of the top recruits, JUCO recruits in the nation at the time. And they said he was in Sports Illustrated. Then I saw a picture, and I kind of joked with him and said, well, is that picture really from Sports Illustrated, or is that one of those, you know, Six Flags things, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so I went to the UT library back in the day 
Um, they actually, they had all the micro microfiche, but they also still had the original copies of Sports Illustrated. And there he was. I mean, in this day and age, I would have whipped out my cell phone. <laughs> and I really thought I would love to just steal this copy. But, you know, integrity was hopefully wired in me even before, <laughs> was, you know, we were talking about leadership. But um, so there he was. And he was. So he was very highly recruited and then opted to play at Tech. He actually won. He, he was, he went to junior college and they went to the national championship cool. and he's I mean, some of his where's friends. he from originally he's from lubbock oh, from he actually lubbock. graduated okay. from cool. Kanan as well All yes right. and so um he then he played pro ball um, overseas in Taiwan, he played for the CBA, and so we That's were dating cool. and all that. So he's yeah, he played for Spirit Express, and that was based out of Nashville. So he has a great, he just loves the game, yeah. and he's always. In fact, when we were dating early on, I helped him make one of his first brochures for his Todd Duncan basketball camp. That's cool. So now he's been doing that since he played at Tech, which was a long, long time ago. <laughs> and then both of our kids, they play basketball as well, and so it's just kind of. It's kind of in our blood. That's cool. Does yeah. he uh, does he want to coach your youngest? Uh, you know what? I think that's an option for how sure. Would, how would they coexist? Let's you let's know, just predict it for the, for oh, the audience. Oh, you know, I think they would do well. But uh, Ethan loves LCU, but he's still still seeing. You know what? What would his options right. be? Yeah. So. so which one's more stubborn, Ethan or Todd? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna call him tenacious. <laughs> all these things. <laughs> <laughs> discipline yeah, yes okay. yes yes all right that's great so um so you guys get married you you've been in Lubbock this whole time mm -hmm. and so 26 year, years ago you you start Park Ridge did mm -hmm. you ever imagine 26 years later you know you still be you hustling along here no yeah. no I committed to that I knew it was going to take some time to to just build it I never I never set out to be a trailblazer or a founder or anything like that I truly saw it as an opportunity to implement the skills I had taught and I knew way back then I was 24 I just uh, turned 50 this year so that's a big one but uh, so I surrounded myself with people who were experts in the area so I had my degrees but as a nonprofit CEO you're expected to know about HR accounting marketing all the things mm -hmm. and I was training the new volunteers in we had about 40 volunteers I was the only staff member and so I knew that it would take some commitment on the front side but I never, if you were to ask me in 1993, would you, would you be talking to Cade, yeah. you know, 26 years later that you're still there? I would have to say no. That's really cool. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing story. So how do you view your role as a leader of, mm -hmm. of your organization? I mean, it's different for mm -hmm. every, you know, every leader of an organization. Yes. Mm -hmm. How do you personally view your leadership leading your team and developing mm -hmm. the organization as you, you know, continue mm -hmm. your mission forward? Yes, well, one of my core values, which I've tried to instill in our organization as well, is a teachable spirit. And that partly came about 26 years ago when I had to have a teachable spirit. I did have one, but even then I knew the value of that because we've all been around folks who continue to learn, and we've been around folks who are finished. They feel like they've learned it all, and that's a very scary place to be. So even then I knew that I wanted to surround myself with folks who who not because I wanted a, I wanted them to help accomplish my mission, but because I knew that they had gifts and talents that I could learn. And so I think that that's very important to maintain that teachable spirit. So that's part of what I've tried to do is to infuse that. But also I think strong leaders are always pouring into other leaders because it's about multiplication. It's about how can I help them succeed. And so now, 26 years into this, our organization is, is pretty solid. Um, a good friend and mentor of mine is Bob Beal. I don't know if you've read any of his. He's awesome. But he says it takes 15 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So I, uh, 
I know though that we we have to hold loosely these things and that we should always kind of be looking at a succession plan. One of the things that I say about myself is I'm content but not complacent. I don't I don't want to be someone who's restless and never thankful for the place that I'm in. But at the same time, I don't ever want to be so complacent that I miss an opportunity for what's next. Yeah. And so as leaders, we need to Think about a succession plan. I mean, my, if I have a joke at the office, if the Spurs call Todd and they need a coach, <laughs> then I want to have some strong systems into place. It's You don't ever want an organization, especially a nonprofit ministry organization, to be centered around one, one person. Mm. And so I believe leaders pour into future leaders, and, uh, and, and that's a big that's yeah, that's really good. Too. So to, let's think about that for a moment practically. Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like for you yes. to pour into other leaders on sure, a practical level? Sure. Okay, so the way our... I'm kind of, I can nerd out on organizational, on org charts uh, and infrastructure, but our organization grew. And and there's really kind of a funny story to that because I had been serving there for six years and um, we were pregnant with Ashton. We knew we were going to have our daughter Ashton, who, by the way, she holds a national championship. She's LCU and last year, it's amazing. She's she's still playing this year. But so we knew we were going to have Ashton. And so I remember where I was, where I was, I was praying. That's an important component in my life is the spiritual component. And so I was praying about that. And I thought, okay, no one else can be Todd's wife. No one else can be Ashton's mom. Someone else can do this Parkridge thing. God can use whoever he wants, but he allows me to be a part of this. And so I had held it loosely, but I remember at that moment saying, Lord, I just want you to take this and, and do with it's, it's, it was never mine anyway. I don't want to take credit for this. And it was as if God said, ah, now I have you right where I want you. And then I'm going to do that above and beyond all you can ask or imagine thing. And so little did I know that that same night, the board had had a special called meeting. They don't do that anymore. (laughs) That's kind of against our bylaws now. But back in 1999, they had this special called meeting. And basically they said, we want to we want to work with her we want to offer her some flex time and we need to hire somebody because she's about to be on maternity leave (laughs) and so even then um i knew that okay this is not about me i need to continue to pour into other people and that kind of helps with maybe another question that we can get to but how do you do it all and Mm -hmm. there's got to be some kind of prioritization of all that Mm -hmm. and so for me I think, okay, can someone else do this? You know, when you think of delegation, John Maxwell says, if somebody else can do it 80% as well as you, then let them do it. But when you think of what are your roles and what are your callings, that nobody else can be Todd's wife and nobody else can be Ashton and Ethan's mom. So that still means I have to go to work in the mornings, but that filters down. And so when I look at discretionary time or when I'm committing to do other things, I, I want to go through that filter. So I'm mom, I, I'm wife, then mom, then CEO, and then consultant or speaker, whatever those other things are. And so if you keep that in the right order, then that really helps. But I still think it's important to mentor and model that to other folks who are coming behind you because you can get on this frenzy of trying to do all these things and add all these things. And so if I, you said, your question was, how do you do that? And how do you, how do you mentor the other leaders who come behind you. So I'm very intentional about that. I try to model it. But also what I do is if I have an opportunity to share with them something that maybe I take away from a board meeting that they weren't in, if it's something I can pass on to them that they could learn that they wouldn't have heard otherwise except from me, and it's not something that's a confidential matter, then I can share that with them. And I can say, here's a situation. This is how I handled it. Knowing you and your strengths and your personality and your wiring, I would recommend that you maybe could handle it this way, this way, or that way. 
sometimes I say, okay, here's a situation. What would, what would you do? Mm-hmm. Other times I say, okay, if I were you, this is what I would do. So I think that always looking for how you can pour into your people is, is going to be, because you, you want to be indispensable, but the fact is we're really not. Sure. And so, um, how many direct reports do you have? I have three direct reports. Now that sounds a little interesting because I have a COO, but the reason I have two others is because we're building out another, another, uh, division, okay. another department. And so until we get that, that's kind of where we are. And yeah. you know how it is, you have these phases and you probably have your dream yeah. org chart as well. So, um, that's what I have right that's now. Cool. So mm-hmm. what does your time with him look like? Do you meet weekly? Do you meet every yes. other week? What does that time? Yes. Look like? So my COO, we meet about an hour to an hour and a half each week. And certainly I'm available as things come sure. up. You would just want to have an open door policy. However, it can't be so open that you don't get your things done. Right. And then my other direct reports, uh, like my manager who my managers or directors in this build out position that we're kind of growing that out. I meet with them for 30 minutes to an hour a week. And then we have departmental meetings once a month, and then we have all team meetings quarterly. That's good. How do you handle your meetings? Like, are they, mm-hmm. they there's like a blank slate and, you know, you start at the same time or do you have mm-hmm. agendas? Like, how do you have meetings with purpose? Mm-hmm. Which I think a lot of leaders really struggle with, you know, number one, the volume of meetings. Yes, yes. Um, but then in addition to the volume of meetings is just the purpose of meetings mm-hmm. and how to manage yes. you know, the substance of the meeting. Mm-hmm. So like, how yes. do you, how do you approach that? Yes. Well, I have a template because I'm the type, I like to have a plan, but then I also like, if I just go with a blank slate, then we might not even accomplish what we want to accomplish and we might go over time. Sure. And so we actually have an agenda and all of my direct reports, I kind of have a template. And so it's like things that they're currently working on, the balls in their court, the balls in my court, you know, cause I don't ever want to, if there's something that they're waiting on, I can give them information. Sometimes as a leader, you just have to say, trust me, I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. But other times it's like, thanks for the friendly reminder. Let me make that phone call. And sometimes I'll just pick up the phone right then in that meeting and say, let me go ahead and if this will help move this on down the road, let me just go ahead and take my direct connection with this person now to get this done. And so uh, that's something that we do. So there is a process to that weekly check-in and we do use an agenda, that's but cool. it's not so tight that it's sure, sucks flexible. the life out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What do you do? What do you do to prioritize your own personal growth? I mean, mm-hmm. there's a tendency of a lot of leaders, you know, to kind of neglect their own own growth because yes. they're busy with other people's growth or, right. you know, doing the normal work of the organization. So how right. do you stay inspired? How do you empower mm-hmm. your own leadership? Mm-hmm. How do you grow and, and uh, yeah, continue to grow as a leader? Yes. Well, when we had the opportunity several years ago to hear um, Cloud and Townsend, I love them. They've got great books on leadership and boundaries for leaders. I don't know if you've read that by Dr. Henry Cloud. And so they're psychologists in the industry and they, they, they just are phenomenal. They're the authors of boundaries and so many books. But he said that we have the secret sauce to leadership because we're licensed professional counselors. Now that could be a blessing and a curse. Our kids were like, sorry, you've got a coach and a counselor. <laughs> which is not quite as bad as a cop and a teacher, but you know, so uh, we kind of have to practice what we preach. But one of the things that um, he talked about is kind of knowing what those things are. We, we, if we're trying to counsel somebody on healthy boundaries, we need to be trying to have those ourselves. But one of the things that I have done and even Todd and I have done too, is try to find those folks who challenge you and bring out the best in you kind of surround yourself by with, I mean, there are many times that you're the one that's pouring out, but if you're not, if you're not around people who are pouring into you too, that's how burnout comes. Mm, That's also, I've seen leaders who are so great, but they implode. They're like this 
this building that all of a sudden they just they just implode and mm-hmm. you don't even know what's happening. There's not any kind of uh, warning. Obvious reason. Yes, yeah. yes. And so that's what I do. I have I have folks in my life who um, we meet together like twice a year. We get together from there are twelve of us in a group. We fly in to we Atlanta. We just met in Dallas, and so we gather. Awesome. And yeah, and and it's kind of like we have a chance to. And these are high octane folks. These are authors these are national level folks that i'm honored i'm not sure how i got on that yeah. list but i'm on that list and so we get to do that and just kind of sharing the behind the scenes things that you i mean you can certainly share with your spouse but sometimes it's great too to have those folks who are leaders Absolutely. and that's very important that's pouring into you and then i think too sometimes todd and i just have to almost do um kind of an assessment it's like okay who are those folks that we just are so energized after we leave from talking with them we need to spend more time with them. Like, you know, those friends that you see them once a year and you're like, why, we need to go eat Mexican again. Why, yeah. why are we, well, how's it been so long since we've seen you being intentional to get it on the calendar? And there are other folks where you're the ones pouring into them and you might meet with them, you know, twice a year. And it's like, how are things going? And it's like, what about all that stuff we talked about last time? No, I haven't done any of it. I'm still, you know, still stuck here. Yeah. So you think, okay, well, how can I best utilize my time? So even the keeping yourself uh, grounded and challenged and all that, you have to be very intentional about that. Because in leadership, especially if you're the CEO or the founder of an organization, you're usually the one pouring into them. So you have to be very strategic and intentional about who's yeah. pouring into you. That's good. I'm, I'm putting a group of, of people together, super smart, different industries yes, that you can that's collaborate a, and that's exactly kind of step right. outside of doing yes. the work and actually just think about yes, the work. Yes, that's exactly yeah, right. Critical. Mm-hmm. So you're married to a coach. you got two basketball players. Mm-hmm. Your schedules are probably all over the place. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You have a demanding job. Mm-hmm. When you think about like work-life balance, people love yes. to talk about that. It's an easy, it's mm-hmm. an easy thing to say that you're four. Right. But what does that look like for you? Number one, mm-hmm. um, and number two, when you find yourself out of balance, what are some practical things that you do to kind of recenter yourself mm-hmm. or kind of re, um, kind of reclaim, you know, balance if you right. were? Well, I would think in this day and age, just with resources online, folks really kind of know about their temperament styles and their. Like if they're, they're disc personality, well, all these things, but it's like, where's your source of what drains you and what energizes you? And so that's, that's important to know. If you don't know, you can go online and take that test. A lot of companies do that too, just for their own culture to see how they're, how they're reacting. But you need to be aware of those things and kind of have those warning lights. And so that you can do that. But as far as me, um, like right now, you know, if your kids are playing in college and basketball and um, sports or in high school, those years go by in a flash. And so I don't think it means that uh, I'm not going to say that uh, if I miss a scrimmage because I have a CEO meeting, that that means this is more important. Or if I miss this, it's that. But what I do is I get the schedules out and put them on my calendar early. And I mean, I my schedule, I can tell you what I'm doing in the spring and even a year from now, yeah. because these are the things I want to carve out and get on the calendar first. And so we do that with the family vacation. We might not know exactly what the dates are because a lot of things, you know, we don't have all the information, but just knowing these are the things I'm going to get on my calendar. And for right now, this stage of life, it's going to go by oh so quickly. I like I'm leaving tomorrow. I have a leadership meeting and then I'm hitting the road and going to drive into our son's ball game. I mean, I marked off. This is interesting because our Lady Shaps played UT, my alma mater, and Baylor. And so I, whenever that schedule came out last February, I marked it on my on my Outlook, just that I'm going to be out. So, you know, a phone 
and just the fact that that it's right here and it's so we're so easily accessible it's a blessing and a curse wouldn't you say mm-hmm. and so it's that balance of intentionality but uh, also making sure that you're all there yeah one of my favorite um, <clears throat> quotes is wherever you are be all there live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God that's um, Jim Elliott, the missionary, but that's still so important. It's like, I don't want to be in one place with my family thinking about the office or that the office thinking about my family. So it's like, okay, this time that I'm here, I want to be all here. Yeah. But I think so. that's good. I, I like how you, you know, prioritize things that are really important. I get made fun of by my friends occasionally. Cause I, like I already printed out the 2020 calendar Yeah, and you like, oh. literally blocked every yes. single month off. Yes. And if yes. the thing, the fact of the matter is, is if you don't kind of tell your time what to do, your time will tell you what That's to do. That's exactly right. You live reactive instead of intentional. That's so exactly I, I appreciate right. the way that you do that. Um, t- tell us a little bit about, you know, how you approach, you know, failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's always really fascinating to hear, you know, how people approach failure and how, how mm-hmm. they, how they view it and if they learn from it and the ways mm-hmm. that they learn from it. So mm-hmm. how have you historically kind of approached that? Yes. Well, certainly it should be an opportunity for growth. Right. Now, um, we tell our kids that wisdom is learning from someone else's mistake because we're going to make our own, but if we can learn from someone else's, that's going to kind of add, that's really good. Uh, add to that. Uh, but there will come that. And so it's how we handle it. But I think also prevention is a huge piece of it. I mean, if you're talking about innovation, there's certainly going to be a higher uh, rate of failure. But uh, we want, we hopefully want to have those core things in place that we don't go off the grid on some of those, on those core values and those mm-hmm. pieces that are really important to us, the big boulders in our life. But even so, even when that happens, that's what we specialize at the office. It's like people think, okay, there's this situation or I'm in the middle of this. This is a failure. I can't go on. And so I think stepping back and helping someone see the big picture but also figuring out where you go from here. I mean, we, a lot of times we're doing triage work or we're doing crisis intervention. Also as a licensed professional counselor, my part of my uh, bent is gonna be be solution focused, short-term therapy, because we want to help folks figure out, okay, what's the solution here? And how can I implement tools that are gonna help me? Because it will come again. How can I either prevent that or how can I learn from it? Mm-hmm. So I think analyzing the cycles too, it's like failure, is it because of innovation? Is it because of a lack of discipline? What is the origination of that failure? Sometimes it's just because we're human and we make mistakes, mm-hmm. so. That's really good. What, what, like if you think about, I mean, your your line of work is really unique, right? It's mm-hmm. like usually extremely urgent. Right. Um, you know, it stems from you know a, a, an unwanted decision. Yes. Um, and so, what what have you learned from doing this work for twenty six years mm-hmm. in terms of you know helping people process you know their decisions? Mm-hmm. What have you learned that would be applicable to someone you know even in the business world where maybe the mm-hmm. consequences of the decision is different mm-hmm. or the sense of urgency or whatever is different? But where do you find there to be overlap and balance? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we say that I think is applicable in the counseling room and also in the boardroom That's is good. sometimes just push pause. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes, especially if you're wired for moving forward, getting a, or you want to just mark this off your list, you want to go ahead and learn from it and move on, sometimes the best thing you can do is push pause mm-hmm. and take a step back, seek godly counsel, seek wisdom from, from folks. I think... It just the the time the timeline sometimes our time frame orientation if I say hey Cade we'll get back and we'll fix that soon then what does soon look like 
you know, for soon for you might to be tomorrow, soon for somebody else. It's like within 20, 2019, it's like, no, I <laughs> yeah. want. And so all of those things, I think, so pushing pause, gathering all the facts, and then the old school pros and cons list. It is, it is still so valuable. Mm. Just actually putting it on paper, it helps you think about it. I mean, it's something you do in elementary school, but it still has value today. We use it in the counseling room, and, and I still use it at times too. And when I'm talking to our kids, okay, what, what is the worst thing that could happen if, if you do this? Or what's the best thing that could happen? And just, I think, thinking through. Um, then the, the prevention element is so key because you want to learn from those mistakes. But then if you can kind of fend that off a bit and you're, having, you're already in this mindset of kind of analyzing it. Now, not paralysis of analysis, but if you're analyzing it, then you do have some of those indicator lights or some of those predictors. Or, okay, I'm feeling really tired or um, I'm feeling, feeling really disconnected. And if I know myself that if I do these things, then it might be bad. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, again, it's initiative and being proactive about some of those things. That's really good. I, you, you said something early on in that about, you know, really learning from other people's yes. mistake uh-huh. as a way of gaining wisdom yes. And, yes. and therefore hopefully uh-huh. preventing some of that. Yes. And you don't typically think, you don't typically view of learning from failure, mm-hmm. learning from other people's failure. Right. So that's really good. And then the whole, you know, push pause and think yes. for a second, it's yes. probably not my greatest strength. <laughs> so I'll have to book, bookmark that, that. <laughs> and uh, uh, do that better moving forward. What, what are some, or who have been some of the biggest personal influences on your own leadership? I mean, mm-hmm. you sound well-read. You sound like you read a lot. You're clearly around a lot of great leaders. But mm-hmm. when you think of one or two people who, uh, who have had or continue to have mm-hmm. a significant you know, impact on your own leadership, who are they and what have you learned from them? And yes, yes. That good stuff. So there was a season in my life where I had the opportunity to be a national consultant for Focus on the Family. And so they would fly us in and they would train us to go and, and work with these other clinics across the nation. So, you know, they say an expert is someone who has a briefcase and lives further than 30 miles away. So, you know, that was already, I had it, you know, I had the briefcase and that was further than 30 miles away. But they were pouring into us as, as leaders. Part of what made me so valuable is I was still in the field. So at the time, I was still the CEO. I had kids. I had uh, Todd's support and my family's support to help, and even the support of the board, because they said if you're learning for that, then then you're gonna you're gonna be a better a better leader. But so while we were there, that's where I first had heard of Bob Beal. He was one of the founders of the organization Focus on the Family, and then he went on to become like an executive coach. But he did our training. He's amazing. He's been doing this for years. He's like, you know, Chick Fil A. Boeing, I mean, all these huge people call him, have called him in over the years. And so I got to just sit at his feet. He poured into us and trained in us and I've maintained that relationship with him. And so he's, he's amazing. So Bob Beal, he, he's, he's really great. And then, um, I, I just think that, uh, folks in my life, the ones that have the teachable, but humble spirits are the ones that I love learning from. And that I just want to kind of spend time. And some of them are just local friends and local leaders. But then also this group of, of um, just kind of, I call them a high-octane friends. Um, I know that's kind of a West Texas no, high-octane. Like <laughs> but um, I think that's huge, too, is just getting to spend time with them. So um, I could list a long list of people, you know, that I've read and all that. But um, just having that, those folks who you can tell kind of the good, bad, and ugly, as we say. It's not, we're going to have a meeting. 
We're doing the good, bad, and ugly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we can say whatever we want here, and let's kind of get to the bottom of it. So. That's good. That's really good. I'll have to check out Bob. You've mentioned him yes. multiple times. Yes. Sounds uh, really mm-hmm. great. Um, okay, last question for you. If you could speak to your younger self. So if you could go back to 19 and 93, yes. <laughs> as you yes. said earlier, mm-hmm. what would you tell the, the, the 1993 version mm-hmm. of, of Holly mm-hmm. after 26 years of leadership? What mm-hmm. are some of the things you'd tell your younger self? Well, what's interesting is that I probably wouldn't change much because even the stuff that I learned from or the stuff that maybe I was in way over my head, I was actually in way over my head when they hired me and gave me the key. But because even then I had the teachable spirit because I had to learn all these things. And I remember then saying, okay, I need to maintain this. And so I would say, okay, that's a good one that you're on to something. Um, little did I know it'd be 26 years and all these things. But I think to me, teachable spirit, it, it just almost, there's a, um, a humility that can come from that. You know, I love the C.S. Lewis quote, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I think that's part of what it is. It's like you don't see yourself as the expert in all these fields, yet when someone calls and says, hey, can you speak on this? I think, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure if I'm an expert. And I think, well, I have learned this, I have learned that. But then even so, if I'm supposed to be speaking in an expert field, I still want to be prepared because it's an opportunity for growth and for learning and all those things. And so I think I would just say, stay the course it's going to be hard but thankfully we don't we don't know all that's ahead because i might not have been here for 26 years if i knew that i was going to have to do this this and this and be responsible for mm-hmm. that that and that and build out abc yep. and raise funds for xyz i probably would have said i don't know if i'm your person because i'm going to be in private practice as a licensed professional counselor that's what i thought i was going to do yeah. and so i think that i don't i'm not trying to just have an easy way out to this answer but I am grateful for the highs, the lows, and everything in between because it's really shaped me into the leader that I am today. That's really cool. I probably would say wear even more sunscreen. <laughs> wear, wear more sunscreen. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end this interview. Of all the things, wear more yes. sunscreen. I can relate to that. Well, we really appreciate your time. It's It's been mm. uh, good uh, you know, getting to know you and supporting your organization and and uh, following your kids' basketball career, hey, and, and uh, you. you know, I got to play against Todd a couple of times, and yes. got beat pretty handedly <laughs> at least once one of those times. So, well, what an honor! It's know. just so cool to see when I first met you. I mean, I I knew that you were a go getter too. I don't know exactly when that was because I know you and Todd. Uh, have known each other for much longer but I could see that in you for sure just like okay this is something that you you want to do you're a big dreamer but you also kind of put feet to it and so I think it's awesome everything from your building to your people to your team and you know one of the things can I just add this too that we talk about our our standard because I think sometimes we can make excellence an idol our standard has to be high but if we if we look at perfection and that becomes the standard, I'm not saying you do this, it was just a segue, it's a little little last minute thing. Um, I think that's so important. We wanna make sure that excellence is what we're called to and that we're trying to do all things well, but if that slips and turns into perfectionism, then we're just, we're heading for that road of burnout and implosion and all that stuff. But I just love how you have just done such a great job with, and I know that you're not finished but just to um, be on your list of community leaders, it's truly an honor. Yeah, no, it's our, it's our privilege to have you and really appreciate you taking the time to do it.